Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, may I add my welcome uh, to David? My name is Will Allen. I'm the assistant minister here, uh, and I'll be uh, preaching in just a moment. Uh, but before then, we're going to take uh, our Bible reading. Have our Bible reading now. So, if you take up your Bibles, uh, they should be near you, up on window sills or in front of you. Um, and we're coming right to the end of our our series through Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 42. Uh, to 16 verse 8. That's page 853. Or if you've got a large print, that's 1014. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Let's listen to God's words to us. And when evening had come, Since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. Would you please take up your Bibles again and turn back to Mark chapter 15. Now, as we begin, here's a, a question for you. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at the world? Have you ever looked at the world and thought, all the world needs is this? 
You know, is it, you know, better leaders or, or, or uh, all the world needs is for everyone just to chill out and to smile more. I don't know. However, even, even if we think there is some kind of magic bullet, as a society, we're kind of, we're torn as to where it's all heading. For some, we're on kind of an evolutionary march of progress. We're refining ourselves and the world. Technology is producing solutions to problems. Our understanding of humanity and the world, it keeps moving us on to better and better places. Utopia, kind of here we come. Um, others of us, perhaps it's uh, more feels like a slippery slope to destruction. You know, humans keep on killing each other. We wreck the planet and eventually the sun's going to engulf us anyway. You know, like many... Uh, teen films, it's, it's dystopia, not utopia. It's heading to death. Uh, which are you? Which do you feel? But are these the only options? Is our world really on this kind of trajectory, all wonderful or all gloom? Or is there another way? A way that doesn't separate them. It isn't just life or just death, but life through death. Well, let's get into this historic event that has changed the world forever and let's see what God's way is, where God says this world is heading. And here in Mark's gospel, we get the shortest account of it. Um, Jesus is actually strangely absent. Uh, we have his body and then we have the empty tomb. It's a fascinating way to end the story. You may see that there are extended versions uh, but these are only found in much later manuscripts, so most likely they're additions made by scribes to make up um, for the ending, uh, probably using other Gospels to help. But, but Mark seems to end his Gospel differently. And even though Jesus is quiet in this passage, it's actually all about him. Because it's the culmination of the whole of Mark's gospel. As we'll see, it brings together all the threads of Jesus' life and his teaching. But before that we get there, firstly, we've got to see the truth of his death. Now, the truth of his death, because Mark isn't just telling a nice story. He's recounting history. And he wants us to be convinced that Jesus was definitely dead and buried uh, that day. So verse 42 Friday is coming to an end. Evening is closing in and this man, Joseph of Arimathea, wants to get the body down from the cross. And he, he speaks to Pilate. Pilate checks with the centurion. And yes, it's confirmed. Jesus is dead. This centurion knows what's going on. He's probably executed a number of criminals. He knows the difference between a dead body and a living one. And this mattered for him. He was executing some pretty nasty criminals. And he could not take any chances that they would survive, could he? So Joseph gets the body down. Now, he's very close to that body. Okay, If he's literally carrying it, he's wrapping it in a linen shroud. And if there'd been any chance of Jesus being alive here, uh, he would have spotted it on a short breath, a, a twitch of the face. You're not going to put someone in a tomb if there's any chance he's alive. This man was dead. He was whipped to an inch of his life. He was nailed to two wooden beams and suffocated as he struggled to lift his body up, not to mention the blood loss. He was dead. Verse 45, Joseph is granted a corpse. Now, this is important. Jesus, he didn't just faint and then pretend to come alive a few days later. 
Okay, firstly, Joseph and the centurion confirmed his death. But also, if he just fainted, there is no chance two days later, after a crucifixion, to be able to convince anyone that he's then the Lord of life. It's just not a good theory. And nor did he swap out before the cross, like the Quran, written 500 years later, claims. It says Jesus never even died. But that just doesn't fit the facts. Jesus was a famous man in the area. Everyone knew what he looked like. Joseph wouldn't bury a man who was actually a fake in his own tomb. No, Jesus, he was dead, but buried, put in a tomb uh, with a giant stone rolled in front of it. If you notice, Mark notes that the women saw it in verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They saw. It was clear which tomb it was. They didn't get the wrong tomb on Sunday. You know, you can imagine, uh, Joseph, along with many others, including the disciples when they went to check, would have said, no, no, look, seriously, he's still here. He's just in another tomb. You've got the wrong tomb, Mary. No, Jesus was dead and was buried. If you're, if you're unconvinced of the resurrection this morning, this is something you've got to deal with. Okay, This man, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, was executed and died. He was put in a tomb outside of Jerusalem. That was Friday. Then on Sunday, that tomb is empty and there's no body. And so you've got to come up with a better solution of what happened to the body. What happened to it? Jesus fainting or not not being on the cross don't work. The the only other option, apart from Jesus miraculously rising from the dead, we're going to get to that, but perhaps is that the disciples stole it. But if the disciples somehow managed to steal it, firstly, without the Roman soldiers guarding, knowing about it, which is unlikely, but if they did, why were they then willing to die for it? This lie, a number of years later, doesn't make sense either. Instead, Mark's account, written not long after the events, clearly records this dead and buried Jesus Christ. But that is not the end of the story. That was Friday, but Sunday is coming. Our world isn't heading just to death. Yes, death is real and a part of it, but instead of having the final word, Jesus bursts out of death alive. He bursts out of death alive. Come back with me to the hillside just outside Jerusalem. It's early Sunday morning. Three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome. They're on the way to the tomb. And since they couldn't anoint the body the day before, being the Sabbath, they'd come on the Sunday, the first day of the week. And they are expecting death. They've got their spices. And they're ready for the rotting corpse of Jesus. The sun has just risen. You can imagine the early mist rising from the dew, the warm sun casting low shadows across the hills. And as they get there, they see the fingerprints of the miraculous. Something supernatural has happened. First, the big stone has been rolled back, a stone probably needing a few strong men to roll it. Second, they see a young man dressed in a white robe. That's, that's language that suggests some kind of heavenly messenger, an angel of some sort. Clearly, it's a young man that shocks and terrifies the women. They're alarmed. It's a massive understatement, that word, isn't it? Alarmed. Uh, then they look and they see the body is gone. 
And listen to the words of the man. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Jesus who is crucified. He has risen. This is the explosion of something magnificent out of disaster. It's like the bursting of spring colors out of the death and darkness of winter, isn't it? De- dead seeds lying in the ground, buried, opening up into a cacophony of colors, yellows, whites, blues, and pinks. This is the great reversal. It's light out of darkness. It's riches out of poverty. It's resurrection out of crucifixion. Life out of death. The one who was last has become first. And this is not some abstract principle. This is a person. This is the man, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He has risen. And let's just consider him together. This, this Jesus, he came to serve. He came as a servant, didn't he, for the good of others. As that psalm put it that Jesus referred to in a previous chapter, he's the stone that the builders have rejected. He's cast out. He's despised by the very people he came to save. He's betrayed by one of the twelve. He's abandoned by his closest friends. He's denied. He's falsely accused by the very courts that should have done justice. And then even went to the cruelest form of execution the Romans could conceive of. He, Jesus, was abandoned, shamed, and cursed. In the, in the line of human beings, he was last. Here was death. But he has risen. He's alive. You know, have you ever had a, some great success or, or, or joy you weren't expecting? I don't know, like a surprise party with all your friends or, or an excellent exam result. That, that feeling you get, that feeling of both disbelief and elation all at the same time. That's just a glimmer of this moment. Jesus rising to life. What a moment. Not death, but life. Not last, but first. You know, Jesus, rather than the stone the builders have rejected, he's become the cornerstone. It's God's servant crowned as king. The great reversal. It's a little bit like a a musician making early recording of some of his music. He puts it into vinyl, if you can imagine it. And And he thinks it's a bit of rubbish, so casts it out onto a rubbish heap. Useless. Not even worth the plastic it's recorded on, but it sits there. Then in time, the the artist becomes famous, their music takes off, people love it, he's respected, admired. He produces multi-platinum selling albums, and that discarded record, that piece of plastic, rather than being worthless, sitting in the mud, it becomes the most priceless object, worth millions, a collector's items, its riches bursting out of poverty. That's a little picture of Jesus, God's servant, being crowned king. Listen how Tolkien puts it in the words of Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. The crownless again shall be king. That the resurrection, it's the all-encompassing moment of Mark's gospel. There isn't much said here in chapter 16. 
But just that announcement, he is risen, it suddenly brings the whole of Mark's gospel into focus. Because Jesus being alive means he truly is the Christ. He's the anointed one. Just think, his words are proved to be utterly true. He predicted many times he'd be raised from the dead. The most extraordinary claim, and yet it's true. He's risen. He's God's perfect prophet. He's speaking words of complete truth from God himself. But also since he's alive, it means his the sacrifice he's made is utterly complete. For him to be alive, that means the ransom for many that Jesus spoke of. That ransom must have been fully paid for the sins of his people. For him to be alive, it means the cup of God's wrath, that cup that sat before him in the garden, that cup must have been drunk down to the dregs. The sacrifice is complete. Not only is he the perfect prophet, Jesus is our perfect priest. And since he is alive, well, it means he's also uh, the vindicated perfect king. The son of man, that's how Jesus has spoken of himself. Well, listen to the words of Daniel 7, the great prophecy that speaks of the son of man. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was present before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. If you remember back at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, now it's here. The king is crowned. The one who will rule, the one who will come to judge his enemies, he's the perfect king. God's servant has been crowned been vindicated God's perfect prophet priest and king Jesus he's bursting out of death alive our our religion is not just the wisdom of a dead man it's not just a nice idea Jesus kind of living on in us somehow and so it's not a religion that you can just say well that's nice for you but not for me it's got, it's got no relevance to me. You want to keep Jesus' ideas going, great, but I believe in something else. No, G- Jesus being alive is news. It's an event that affects everyone, whether you believe it or not, whether your neighbor or your colleague believes it or not. Jesus is the risen Christ, the Son of God. Saying it's not for me is a bit like saying after an election, well, that's, that's nice for you, there's a new prime minister or new first minister, but they're, they're not for me. No, it's it's news for all. It impacts all. Jesus bursts out of death alive. God's servant is crowned. But how? What what difference does this announcement make? Well, it, it changes everything. It sets everything on a new trajectory. Because it means sin and death are not the end. Jesus' great reversal, life bursting from the grave, it overflows out into the world. It reverses deep issues in our lives. I've got three. Firstly, it means there's his forgiveness for the sinner. There's his forgiveness for the sinner. There's a beautiful little detail in what the young man says to the woman, to the women. Have a, have a listen to verse seven. But go, 
tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Isn't that amazing? The angel didn't need to say, and Peter. He's already in the, the list of disciples. But Peter, well, well, Peter, if you remember, he denied Jesus personally three times. To say, and Peter, oh, there is a delicious truth of the offer of forgiveness for the sinner. Now, Peter had to go to Galilee, which he did. He had to come to Jesus for forgiveness, which he did. But here was the promise, the offer of forgiveness and of reconciliation. Since the sacrifice is complete, since Jesus is alive, well, Jesus welcomes all who come to him. He delights to forgive. Just think of those words Jesus used to the paralyzed man, if you can remember back in chapter 2. My son... Your sins are forgiven. And so he says to his people, my child, your sins are forgiven. Come to the risen Jesus. There is forgiveness. No, no sin too big. No past too dark. Don't keep it in the shadows. Your risen Jesus, your priest has completed his sacrifice once for all. If you're not a Christian here this morning, please hear this. Jesus is alive and so forgiveness and restoration is on offer to you. It's not for those who think they're sorted or ultra holy. It's for those who know they're sinners. For me, I I look at my life and I know I'm not sorted. I know my sins, my heart, my actions. They've lacked love. They've lacked love for God and for others. Uh, I live with some of their consequences, but I know I'm forgiven today. Forgiven by my heavenly father because Jesus died and is alive. And so I have freedom to move on, to let go of the past. I know I'm safe. I know I'm loved, that justice has been done as Jesus died for me. I know it's complete because Jesus is alive. There's his forgiveness for the sinner But secondly, there's his hope for the least. There's his hope for the least. Jesus rising from the dead. This isn't just uh, for him. He showers it on others. It's not just about the king having his own thing going on. No, it's what is true for the king. He, He gives to his kingdom. Throughout Mark, we've seen Jesus showing that his people are part of his kingdom. And so if the king rises, so does his kingdom. So do his people. Now, let's just go a little deeper and see what that means. Remember the extraordinary words of the angel. He said, the one who is crucified, he has risen. The one who is crucified, the last, the least, he has risen. What did Jesus promise in chapter 10? That the last will be first. Now, if the crucified one, if the, the one who is shamed and cursed, if he can be risen, then the least and the last can also be risen. There is hope for the least. Jesus brings life for who? For the least in this world. Just think of who Jesus spent time with, with sinners, with tax collectors, the least, the marginalized of society. You know, in the Roman world, it was just the rich and the famous. It was the emperors, the virtuous who had received some kind of glorious paradise. Like in our day, it's only the celebrity, it's the powerful of today who somehow receive everything they want in this life and, and even in the next, it feels. But not Jesus. He was the crucified one, the last, who now saves the lives 
of the least. Listen to to Peter Bolt, an Australian theologian. He said this, Resurrection was filled with promise to all those who are among the least of the world. All those in a broken world who could not raise themselves from the dust and whose virtue could not save them. They had a champion who had gone ahead of them and in so doing, he had provided a ransom that guaranteed their future. And if a crucified man can be raised from the dead, then anyone can be raised. Isn't that amazing? Our world isn't just heading to a world of death, a horrific dystopia where the lives of the rich and the famous, that seems to be the only lifeboat, the only way to live while it all falls apart for the rest of us. Nor is the world heading just heading to a utopia where the poor and the least are actually marginalized even further. They're forgotten about as the rest of the world heads forward. No, Jesus brings life through death for anyone. This morning, if you feel like the world is against you, that you've had a, a life of being looked down on, I don't know what it's been like in poverty, or rejected by society, if that's you, may you know that Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the rejected scum of society, he has risen and he is for you. There is a promise of hope. It will not always be this way. Now that, that promise isn't that suddenly your life will get better now, no. Jesus is a promise that is through death. It's a promise of everlasting life beyond the grave. It's this, if you trust in Jesus, when he returns, you will be with him in glory. In the end, the last will be first. Cling to him. There is his hope for the least. But this is also a promise for those who become nothing. Who give up all for the sake of Christ. Jesus has said in Mark 10, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Did you hear that? And in the age to come, eternal life. If the crucified one has risen... If eternal life is real, then we we don't need to store up treasures on earth. We can deny ourselves. We can become like uh, children. We can become nothing for the sake of Christ. We can walk uh, in Jesus' footsteps, safe in the knowledge, this, this around us isn't everything. We can be like the old widow who gave up all she had for God's. We can be like that woman who who spent huge quantities of money on that perfume to waste it on Jesus. We can take risks like the disciples leaving everything for him. Why? Because we know he's risen. There is hope. There's hope for the least. Eternal life. So let's spend ourselves for him and his cause. Let's make ourselves the least. As Paul puts it, make ourselves the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Why? For for the sake of Christ, for the sake of others. As John Piper puts it, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. Because life has burst out of death. The servant has been crowned. There's his hope for the least. 
And lastly, there's his courage for the fearful. There's his courage for the fearful. There's, there's two interesting moments in this account that we haven't spoken about yet. Two little moments of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. Firstly, there's Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. He's a member of the ruling council, uh, the council that actually uh, decided to crucify Jesus. But Mark tells us very little about him. He's a silent person in the book until verse 43. But he's intriguing. He's someone of faith. Verse 43, he's looking for the kingdom of God. And then here in this moment, he steps out of anonymity. He steps out of fear. He steps out of the shadows. And verse 43, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took courage just here. Before even Jesus rises, there's a spark of something. There's a spark of courage in fear. But also notice the women, Mary, Mary, and Salome. Verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had, had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this reaction of the women, Mark wants us to see. Firstly, this is totally understandable. It says, for, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Okay, they just had the biggest news of their lives. They'd seen an angel and they'd had their world completely turned upside down. It's not surprising they fled. We would have done exactly the same. But yet, something is clearly wrong with this too. The women flee. It's exactly what the disciples have done. And they're afraid. Fear throughout the gospel had been, has been opposed to faith. Yes, this is understandable, but it's, it's not how it should be. And there the gospel ends. But, but Mark doesn't need to tell us what happens next. He doesn't need to tell us about the change in the women. The fact that courage did come. Why? Because the story's here for us. The news of Jesus' um, uh, resurrection must have sunk in. Because it's, it, it's been written down. He's heard it. Um, the gospel has gone out. These women, yes, they'd fled in fear. But it didn't stay that way. They must have then had courage. They must have believed it. The power of the event must have kind of ripped through their fear and exploded into courage to share what had happened. Because it's here written for us. And the way Mark finishes this gospel pulls us, the reader, the listener, right in. Because as we hear that they fled for they were afraid... It unsettles us. We have that knowledge that it shouldn't end like this. There's that lingering feeling that something isn't right. And that grabs us. It pulls us into the story. It, It asks us, well, what about you? What about me? Will we take courage? Or will we flee in fear? Will the news of that Jesus is risen be the news on our lips? Or will we not mention it to anyone? Will the gospel go out to all nations as it must? Or will it stay between these four walls on Urquhart Road in Aberdeen? Jesus, he transformed a man called Joseph of Arimathea. He transformed, after a pause, these three women called Mary, Mary and Salome. There is courage. There is his courage for the fearful. Why? Because he's alive. The servant has been crowned. This isn't for the rich and the famous to do, or just the young, or just the experienced. 
think of some people of history. William Carey, the, the father of modern global mission. He went to India for Christ. He was the child of two weavers growing up in rural Northamptonshire. George Whitfield, the evangelist, grown up working in a local inn with his parents, ran in a small town. Just think of the courageous people who shared the gospel with you. Friends, parents, strangers, probably very ordinary in many ways. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave them courage when they were fearful to share the news. He's alive and it changes everything. There is good news for us to tell today. On one Sunday, 2,000 years ago, life burst out of death as God's servant was crowned. And may that life overflow into yours today. As it has done to me and to many in this room, may you know, may you know his forgiveness for the sinner. May you know his hope for the least and his courage for the fearful. Jesus is alive. The servant has been crowned. The world has changed forever. Amen.